With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. There we go. Ah! <laughs> ah, hello, yes. For our listeners, as this will probably enter the cold open, um, Travis... Travis kept his video on for Skype, and he was butt naked. He had a, turns out he has a Muppets pat, tattoo on his ass. <laughs> well, now. Think like a really low-class version of um, that Christopher Walken character on SNL. What was his name? The Continental. Could be worse, I guess. It could be, uh, could be Gonzo in a uh, very poorly designed Gonzo. Let's just move on. <laughs> well, I know, because... Perfect dynamite drop in there, Otis. All right, so we're doing Hack Wilson tonight, right? No, we're doing the 89 Fleer Billy Ripken baseball card with face written on the bat handle. Oh, okay, sure. Are you serious? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Okay, that's a lot of uh, bleeps I got to add in then. No, that's a real baseball card. Oh, I'm sure it is, but I'm just like, I'm just thinking from the podcast side of things. I'm like, damn it, I'm going to have to exercise that bleep button a lot. He honestly gave one to every member of his uh, wedding party, so. That's fantastic. Yes, Otis. Hold on, my deliveries are, I'll take care of this. The hell do you have delivered at eight to, between eight and ten o'clock at night? Is he taking a kilo of coke? I want to know his coke service then. If they're personally delivering it to his apartment. Well, he's in downtown Chicago too. I mean. Yeah, but he's not like on the south side. <laughs> Paul's a north sider. He gets his he gets his cocaine delivered to his door through Uber Eats. All right, we should probably get this podcast started. Yeah, We're like twenty five minutes in. I was yeah, gonna say, though, but look how much material we have for a cold open. Yeah, the cold open might be longer than the actual podcast. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to the season finale. That's right, season finale of the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast. And we have decided in our 45-minute-long cold open that this is the final episode of season one before we get back into football and basketball season so we will be on hiatus so this, this is a regular scheduled podcast at this point tonight we'll be discussing a little bit of Purdue football with the season opener being two days away by the time of players and then we will be getting into the story of Heck Wilson the all-time single season RBI leader in Major League Baseball so uh, first of all, with us tonight on the West Coast, before going to Reno, is Juan Crespo. How are you doing, Dr. Juan? Oh, you know, just, just living. Nice. Dynamite drop-in. And of course, we have Paul Banks up in Chicago. How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing well. I had, um, I had some Nashville hot chicken for dinner. It's not sitting very well with me, so let's just hope I get through this all right. And uh, that's about all I'm going to say on the chicken wars that are going on right now. <laughs> As, as we discussed in our cold open, the supreme chicken for sandwich is the Do Right Donut chicken sandwich that they have. Uh, Do Right, a local Chicago, uh, I think they're a chain, but they have one across from Wrigley Field, and it's delicious, and I will be having one of those on Sunday because it's awesome. But, 
before we get to Sunday, we have Friday night. We have football. Yes, actual live Big Ten football out west in Reno, Nevada. And Juan will be in Reno. How excited are you, Juan? I am very excited and hoping that, you know, my flight lands on time or hopefully early on Friday so I can hopefully make a quick trip up to Lake Tahoe before the game. And fun fact, even though I am in Los Angeles, I am technically flying west for this game because Reno is farther west than LA. That's an amazing sorcery right there. And I find this interesting that the University of Nevada is a land-grant university, much like Purdue. And I had this idea today that the land-grant trophy, which is played for by Penn State and Michigan State every year, I think that it should become like the uh, WWE's old hardcore belt, where any land-grant institution can challenge for the land-grant trophy at any time just by showing up wherever the holder team is and challenging them to a game immediately. So... In theory, if Nevada had the land-grant trophy, we could play, be playing them for it. Or, if we just as we won the game, any other land-grant institution like Rutgers or even, uh, oh, what is the probably the worst land-grant FBS program out there? Well, Rutgers. Uh, they could come in at the end of the game and immediately challenge for the trophy right then and there. It sounds like it belongs in, yeah, in WWE. <laughs> I mean, it's not the... It's not the worst idea I've heard. <laughs> because think about it. You have Clemson and Alabama are both land-grant institutions. And say that they just finished the national title game, Clemson's got it, and then all of a sudden, by God, there's Kentucky's music, and they come running out of the tunnel, and they have to play Kentucky immediately. How much fun would that be? So it's kind of like Royal Rumble in format? Yes, exactly. They could challenge at any time. Bring refs and, and show up at the game. Like, for example... You go to the White House. Clemson's at the White House accepting the national championship trophy or whatever. What happens? What's going on? Well, the South Lawn has got the yard markers on and Maryland's ready to go. Let's do it. Maryland must really want those McDonald's hamburgers at the White House. Yeah, old McDonald's hamburgers. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens when we try to talk about football on the Let's Get Weird Sports podcast. Well, I I feel like we've already addressed much of the... uh, much of the preview situation with Nevada and we're just we're ready to get football season going but before we do that we need to transition over to the topic of tonight's let's get weird sports podcast because we've already filibustered enough in the cold open and that is Heck Wilson and what do you have for us on Heck Wilson Paul well I actually did make my first pilgrimage to Cooperstown at the beginning of this month so I saw the plaque honoring Lewis Robert Wilson, nicknamed Hack. And the first thing that really struck me was um, the Hall of Fame actually body shames Hack Wilson. Oh, really? Um, They have his bat from the famous 191 RBI season, a record that will definitely stand for a long time. It won't be broken probably anytime soon. This is not on his plaque. This is up on the second level where they have um, they have his bat and they have like a whole wall devoted to the 1930s Cubs. And it reads, glory came at last in 1979 for this tiny but tubby slugger who seemed almost as big around as he was tall at five feet, six inches. Oh, and wow. He, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, bear in mind, this is where he is deified, where he is lionized, where he is glorified forever and they still call him a fat ass and, and he has this he has the sad 
thing a lot like Ron Santo, where he was inducted into the Hall of Fame after he was dead. And that's like, way to go, guys. Way to honor him while he's still alive. Oh, my God. Santo was, I think, a year or two after he passed away. Oh, exactly. It, it, it was just so sad. And I'm, I'm such a... I was a big Santo fan and would have loved to have heard him on the call when the Cubs finally won the World Series. But I always think it's such bullshit when they put a guy into the Hall of Fame after he's dead. Unless, you know, you have a situation like a Roy Halladay where he passed away before he was even eligible and whatnot. Right. And, you know, Cooperstown, for all the stuff that I saw there, and it was awesome and it definitely lived up to the hype, but... I always wondered what they would do with like the steroid wing of the Hall of Fame. And it's it's one glass case with artifacts from Sammy Sosa and, and Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and Roger Clemens. And I, I thought that was really interesting. As, as we're talking about Hack Wilson, I'm looking up his numbers here for that season, the 1930 season. 56 home runs, 191 RBIs, and he still managed to have 105 walks. Led the majors in all of those categories, slugged 723, batted 356. Uh, his OPS was 1.177. Uh, and, and just to give you some perspective on where those numbers rank historically, obviously the 191 RBIs is the major league record for a single season. The only one to even come marginally close within the last 25, 30 years. Manny Ramirez knocked in 165 in 1999. And then uh, you mentioned the steroid wing of the Hall of Fame. Sammy Sosa had 160 in 2001. He is the only player this century to even get 160 or more. And that that is what is so astounding about putting a number out there like 191, because as you said, no one's even come close. Even Hack Wilson's previous season, he had 159, and it would still be pretty high on the uh, all-time season list. Right, and um, I see some places that register 190, but others that say 191, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know how baseball is when it comes to numbers and stats, and there's always a debate. But Mm -hmm. the American League record is 184, and that's the Iron Horse Lou Gehrig. Not so fun fact about that season. The National League decided not to select a most valuable player. So he hit, he he put up a 56-190 or 56-191, and he didn't even, he did not even get MVP. That's ridiculous. Oh, here, here's your question on the 191. In 1999, the Commissioner of Baseball officially added one after a box score analysis by baseball historian Jerome Holtzman revealed that Charlie Grimm had been mistakenly credited with an RBI actually driven home by Wilson during the second game of a doubleheader on July 28th. So that is where he gets the 191st RBI. Amazingly doing it approximately 51 years after he died. So, I mean, the guy's even producing from the grave. How do you, that's just a Hall of Fame season right there. (laughs) I know. That's why I can't believe it took 31 years after he died to get him in the Hall of Fame because his National League record for homers stood for 68 years. And obviously, the man who broke it was the aforementioned, um, well, the the steroid chase, McGuire. McGuire and Sosa both up there, and I know, uh, I think Griffey had a, didn't he have a 60 home run year in the National League, too, or not? Well, but then you got Bonds at 73. Yeah. Maybe he had 60. I mean, 
Brady Anderson was like a nobody had a 50 home run year during the steroid era. So okay, at 58, uh, let's see, he had 56 that year. You had Griffey have 56 to 97. A Rod 57 in 2002. Hank Greenberg, 58 in 1938. Jimmy Double X Fox, because you're required to say Jimmy Double X Fox, uh, 58 in 1932. <laughs> what the Fox say? Uh, Ruth has 59 in 21, 60 in 27. Maris had 61. Uh, oh, that's just the American League and the senior circuit, as we call it. Uh, there have been five players that have hit more than 56 home runs. Bonds was 73 in 2001. McGuire was 70 in 98. McGuire was 65 in 99. Giancarlo Stanton with 59 in 2017. I'd forgotten about that one. And uh, Ryan Howard with 58 in 2006. Because I know Sammy Sosa has the, he has the uh, unfortunate history of being the only person to hit 60 home runs three times or more, but never led the league while hitting more than 60 home runs. (laughs) Poor Sosa, but um, yeah, it's not so much the numbers that makes Hack Wilson weird, though, is it? I was going to say, there's a reason that he's on here on the Get Weird Sports podcast, and why why don't you fill our readers and listeners in? All right, Lewis Robert Hack Wilson was born in 1900 in a small Pennsylvania steel town, and I'm reading from uh, Jimmy Greenfield. He's the man. All right, Otis. Yeah, we know. Yeah, we forgot to introduce our the other member of our podcast, Otis, who's uh, very talkative right now. Uh, Jimmy Greenfield wrote uh, the foreword to my book, and uh, this is his book called "A Hundred Things Cub Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die." A newspaper account during his early playing day said of Wilson. That of all the rubes, quote, he is the rubiest of them all. So um, his nickname was derived from his physical similarities to George Hackenschmidt, a popular pro wrestler of the era. Oh, well now. Yeah. So um, for those who are loyal listeners of Let's Get Weird, Rube Wilson, well, apparently Hack Wilson is even rubier. He was definitely known as a drunk and a fighter. Wilson, well, wasn't that required of 1920s ball players? Well, pretty much, yeah. I was going to say, if you weren't... Um, this is a quote from Every Cub Ever by Rick Kempfer. And he, wrote, and he writes, To show Hack the dangers of drinking, Joe McCarthy, Cubs manager, not um, communist witch hunt guy. Uh, <laughs> we're like two decades above there. We're yeah, we're in like prohibition, so we're not in uh, the Cold War on that. Uh, Joe McCarthy took a worm and dropped it in a glass of whiskey. The worm quickly died. Quote. Now what does that prove? Asked Joe. Wilson thought about it for a while and replied, "It proves that if you drink whiskey, you won't get worms." Well done. So there you go, Otis. We don't have to worry about you getting. Uh, worms at the vet if I give you more whiskey. (laughs) Because obviously I've been putting whiskey in his cat food all the time. I would like to make a statement that no animals were hurt in the production of this podcast. (laughs) And the ASPCA has now pulled their sponsorship of us. (laughs) Well, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for Hack Wilson here. Says his mother was 16 and was an unemployed drifter from Philadelphia. Which you don't see 
that very often with 16-year-olds these days. And uh, his father was a steel worker, age 24. His parents never married. Both were heavy drinkers. And his mother died of appendicitis at age 24. And he was described as being only 5 feet 6 inches tall, weighing 195 pounds with an 18-inch neck, uh, being built along the lines of a beer keg and was not wholly unfamiliar with its contents, according to sports writer Shirley Povich. Wow. I mean, it's actually thought that the Cubs, um, well, here, this is the passage. The Cubs might have known about Wilson's proclivities and tried some tough love with him as a wire service story following the, oh, yeah, basically, Hack Wilson was caught in a raid during Prohibition, and it's thought that the Cubs tipped off uh, Chicago's finest in order to teach him a lesson. Unfortunately, the guy had the deck stacked against him because now they believe that he had fetal alcohol syndrome because his mother was quite the lush and obviously didn't quit drinking when she was a 16-year-old unwed mother in the in the year 1900, which, you know, that, nobody would ever look down on that in 1900 or 2000. Right. I mean, in 1900, you know, whiskey was how you treated, like, diseases. Like, that was actual modern medicine for that time. Yeah, whiskey, cocaine, or mercury. Those were your three choices. <laughs> it's, it's great just how far we've advanced since then, isn't it? Oh, I mean, when you think about it, whiskey, cocaine, or mercury is a lot cheaper than uh, most medical practices today. And if they make you feel better, I mean... I wonder what they're going to say about us when they dig up our podcasts in, in like, 2075 and they reflect back on 2019 about the dumb things we did. Uh, well, first of all, they'll, they'll all be on scrolls because, um, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll have dived evolved as a society then and electricity will no longer exist but this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer as you migrate your business to the cloud what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy but cloud optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hack Wilson, it, he, it's not just the drinking that he was known for. He was also a, a scrapper, uh, uh, an amateur pugilist of sorts. Well, is he is he going for the 1920s sort of Gordie Howe hat trick where it's obviously not a goal assist in a fight, but he was a drinker, a fighter, and a womanizer? I haven't found much about his womanizing, and I don't know if he... Honestly, in all the readings I've done on Hack Wilson, I haven't learned anything about uh, marriage or children or philandering, but... I mean, hey, you know what? It's the Roaring Twenties. It's the Prohibition era. He's in Chicago. He's drunk. He's a cub. I mean, I think we can kind of draw a straight line, don't you think? I mean, who would not want to bang a 200-pound, 5'6 man built like a beer keg? <laughs> 
who still holds Cub career records for best on base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS above <laughs> thousand. So I mean, how could you not score on some like flapper at a jazz club with like, hey, you know, my OPS is over a thousand, baby. Well, it does say that he did have a son born during the 1925 World Series, but it does not say anything about a wife or significant other, so... I do hope that son was not a heavy drinker, because obviously we know that that has been a problem in his family. Okay, so in 1928, um, reading again from Every Cub Ever, he was fined after charging into the stands to fight with a heckler. Gabby Hartnett of the famous 1938 NL champion Cubs, Homer Homer in the Gloman, that had Gabby Hartnett, and Joe Kelly had to physically remove him off the fan, and thousands of fans swarmed the field. Heck once charged into the opposing dugout to to punch a Reds pitcher after Heck hit the ball. He was tagged out in the dugout. That same night, he punched another Reds pitcher in the team train. Oh, so, that's good. A train fight. So let, let's back this up just for our listeners again. So he got a hit, reached base safely, left the base to go punch a pitcher in the dugout, and then he punched a second pitcher the same within a 24-hour span. And let me guess, this is when teams, tra- uh, visiting teams, because you said it was against the Reds, this is when teams traveled uh, on the same trains away from the city, I'm betting. I think so. I, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if they had like chartered trains or something in that day. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, boy. Uh, that would have been funny if that would have cost him an RBI uh, towards the record, but that was two years before he did set the record. Yeah, and you know, it's unfortunate that despite that massive year of a 56-190 or 56-191, he only had 244 home runs in his entire career. And so that's like nearly 20% of his home runs in one season. That that is a lot like the uh, Brady Anderson, like you said. Um, In the 1932 World Series, or no, 1929 World Series, um, Austin year for America, 1929, nothing bad happened at all. Oh, no, not at all. Um, The Cubs lost the first two games to the Philadelphia A's, but won games three. Ed... After taking an 8-0 lead in Game 4, Wilson lost two fly balls in the sun during a disastrous seventh inning, including one that resulted in a three-run inside-the-park home run as the A's scored 10 times and went on to win 10-8. So he was basically the Bartman ball um, of that, that one disastrous inning in October, you know, seven decades prior. <laughs> and kind of forgotten with all the other stuff that happened to the Cubs over 108 years. You see what I did there? I said seven decades prior. Oh, well done. Oh. That, that is good. So, unfortunately, Hack Wilson had a very, very short career with the Cubs. We just talked about his blunder in the 1929 World Series. And when 1930 hit, you know, he had that massive year. There was a short time where he was rivaling Babe Ruth, and a lot of sports writers wrote about that at the time, that he was the only one who could keep up with the Bambino. Um, That's right, Otis, but this is where his fall from grace starts. And Um, I know that that's what always stands out about Ruth to me is, yeah, a lot of his 
records have been either matched or bested more recently, but it wasn't just that he had those records and held them for so long. It's that Babe Ruth was way out there and all alone on these records, and no one was even close to him for the longest time. I mean, you were talking about guys where, like, the leading home run hitter on a team had seven home runs. Right. And, and he, then all of a sudden, here comes Ruth hitting 55. I mean, he was Babe Ruth was clubbing more home runs than, like, entire teams at this point. Uh, yeah, and it, it's it's insane. But I, I see that he was also robbed of another RBI here. Uh, there was a game where they were playing in Cincinnati where he should have been created – uh, credited with one more home run. He hit one, quote, way up in the seat, so hard it bounced ba- right back onto the field. The umpire had a bad angle on it and ruled the ball had hit the screen and bounced back. Reds catcher Clyde Sukforth was sitting in the Cincinnati bullpen and wasn't going to say anything, but uh, he saw it bounce from outside the stadium and back in, so it should have been a 57th home run and then a 192nd RBI. Poor guy, just couldn't catch a break. Yeah, I know, right? I mean, one of the greatest hitting seasons in all of Major League Baseball. They didn't have VAR for that? (laughs) Hacker reference there. (laughs) (laughs) As you said, unfortunately, that was kind of his peak, and uh, things really went downhill from uh, 1930. Yeah, I mean, like I said, 1930 was his peak. He He was a journeyman to begin with. He played for four different teams, no for... No single team for more than five seasons. And he started drinking more, going out more. He and a pitcher named Pat Malone punched out a pair of sports writers. And for that, Wilson was suspended, kicked out of the clubhouse. And the Cubs traded him to the St. Louis Cardinals for a pitcher named Burley Grimes. He wore out his welcome in St. Louis, was dumped off to the Brooklyn Dodgers. And in 1932, he had a good season. He drove in 123 RBIs. He 297, 23 home runs. But by 1933, again, the drinking was just taking more of a toll on him. And he started to really fall off physically. He hit nine home runs for the Dodgers. Played his final major league game on August 25th, 1934 for the Philadelphia Phillies. And he was only 34 years old at the time. So he played for the Cubs from 1926 to 1931. And he was out of baseball pretty quickly and i do know that uh today the cubs if you go to wrigley field they have the various flags across the top and they all have different meanings and whatnot he still has is represented by the 191 flag because uh, they have other ones up there i know they have i think one for sosa 66 they have one for Kerry wood's 20 strikeout game uh but it is neat to see that he is still commemorated at wrigley field with one of the flags across the rooftop. That is pretty awesome. I do like that. I like that it's I like that it's kind of understated like that. When we go to the game on Sunday, we can um take a walk around the perimeter of the bleachers on the brick walkway where they have, you know, not like the legends and the retired numbers, but like the second tier of Cubs legends and Hack Wilson is honored there too. Right, right. And that that is neat to see and especially since that is pretty close to the brick wall where people write the messages on, we're writing the messages on the outer brick wall during the 2016 postseason and everything else. And some people would just put names up there of 
deceased Cubs fans that didn't uh, didn't live to uh, see them finally win the World Series, and that that is one of the things that makes Wrigley so awesome. And um, life after baseball was definitely not good for Wilson at all. He opened a pool hall, but it failed as at a sporting goods store. He had a rancorous divorce. His wife's name was Virginia, so he was married. Um, he worked as a bartender near Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. I'm sure you can kind of imagine what how that worked out. A guy like Hack Wilson with a drinking problem working at a bar. I'm guessing not well. According to this, he had to sing for drinks and then had to quit when customers became too abusive. Oof. Uh, a nightclub venture in suburban Chicago also failed. I don't know what suburb that is. Um, I'll have to look that one up sometime. Goodwill ambassador for a professional basketball team. He lamented that fans remembered his two dropped fly balls in the 1929 World Series far more vividly than his 56 home runs and 191 RBIs. Well, that's that's pretty sad. I, I do feel bad for him on that one. Yeah, and, and well, the whole chronic alcoholism from birth, too. That's sad as well. You know, once he kind of... Once you know, base once he was baseball was done with him. Once um his uh, venture capitalist phase fizzled out and that didn't work out, he moved to Baltimore where he worked as a tool checker in an airplane manufacturing plant and later as a city laborer. And he met his end while serving as a manager of a Baltimore public swimming pool. That's one reference. The other reference I see was he was just a towel boy at a city pool in Baltimore and he died on October 4th, 1948 from a fall in which he, well, pneumonia and other complications. And he died of internal hemorrhaging. Sounds very similar to the, uh, to the end of shoeless Joe Jackson, where he was just kind of forgotten and you don't remember the good of his playing days. And uh, he just kind of died in ignominy. And I, I see that he died penniless and his son refused to claim his remains. Ooh, that's cold. Yeah, that's brutal. And no one would claim his body until National League President Ford Frick, um, who would go on to be the co-founder of the Baseball Hall of Fame and MLB commissioner and obviously the Ford Frick Award and all that good stuff. He covered the funeral expenses. And it was not until three days after Hack Wilson died that he uh, his gray burial suit was donated by the Undertaker. I'm assuming the um, local Undertaker, not the uh, not the undead uh, WWE superstar. No, no, not not the wrestling superstar. <laughs> <laughs> so Hack Wilson's um, final resting place is Rosedale Cemetery in Martinsburg, West Virginia. I'm not sure I I understand the connection there, given that he was born in Pennsylvania and died in Baltimore, but. Uh, it's a very cautionary tale. It's a very sad ending. And, you know, this is kind of a short episode because we're talking about a man who was kind of like the Rube and that he wasn't around very long, but he really hit the highs and lows that it could be the highest of highs and the lowest of lows in his life. Uh, you do mention it. He was like the Rube where you have Cy Young is generally regarded as the greatest pitcher of all time. And but the Rube was his contemporary for at least a while and not as well known. And obviously Babe Ruth is probably the best baseball player of all time. 
for at least a season and a half, he had some competition and there was some question of, oh, hey, this Hack Wilson guy is pretty good and can uh, kind of go stride for stride with him. Right. And he just he reached that high in a very short time and then burned out pretty fast. But, you know, they're obviously it's a very sad ending, but he was inducted to the Hall of Fame in 1979. Uh, there's a street in West Virginia named in his honor. There's a street in his hometown of Elwood City, Pennsylvania. There's Hack Wilson Drive. There's Hack Wilson Way. I mean, you know, Sunday when we go to the Cubs game, we're going to go visit his brick. Uh, his flag still flies over Wrigley. And, you know, here it is more than a half century later. We're still talking about him. Right. And it, I mean, it is it impressive to have that flag there at Wrigley Field. I mean, to be immortalized like that is, you know, you're never going to take that away. I mentioned Kerry Wood also having the flag there. Obviously, Kerry Wood's career didn't turn out because of injuries and everything else, but he still has that one day where he was just unstoppable. And I remember watching that game in high school. I feel it was a privilege to be able to watch that game live. And the one hit he gave up, the little dribbler, they went off the third baseman's glove. It's like that was offensive to his pitching performance that day. Yeah, when I I, when I remember when Carrywood was first coming up and everyone said he was going to be the next big thing. And I mean, he reinvented himself as a closer, which was great. And it's just sad that his arm burned out the way it is and he couldn't have been a 300 game winner or 3000 strikeout guy. But he's he's definitely a legend here because he was a Texan who found Chicago to be his new home. And when he took that hometown discount um, on his final contract with the Cubs, he just endeared himself to this fan base forever. And obviously, you know, Kerry Wood is a guy who didn't have problems off the field, which is quite different from Mac Wilson, but. I mean, very, very similar in that they could have been, you know, they could have been so much better. And obviously I doubt Kerry Wood's ever going to go in the hall of fame. And heck Wilson obviously is, you know, just to be able to have those one or two seasons where you're just up there and you just put up these pantheon level performances. And I feel like I'm turning into Bill Simmons as we do this. So we're going to talk about the Tom Brady and the 19 or the 2004 Red Sox. (laughs) You know, once you start making like saved by the bell references or something, then, then yeah, you will become like Indiana Bill Simmons. It's it's the Hack Wilson's Drink It Again season on 90210. Getting back to the Rick Kemper book, Every Cup Ever, it writes, Near the end of, of Wilson's life, he appeared on a network radio show where he spoke about the effects of, quote, demon rum. He did have some self-actualization there. Yeah, and that is the hard part, is you can have self-actualization, but unless you do something with it, it doesn't mean a lot, unfortunately. Right, do as I say, not as I do. Uh, So that concludes Season 1 of Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast, which, Juan, what did this cost us, like, 18 months to do this season? Yeah. You know, we'll just send it there on the very depressing note. Well, I didn't call it season two. I feel like we've done two seasons. Oh, well, I'm not sure. Does this mean we have to end this year in a cliffhanger? Like, does one of us have to get shot? I'll just end a podcast right there. Well, I think we should have ended on a positive note, though. I'm with them on that. I mean, you know, it's like an 80s sitcom. Sha-la-la-la. You have to wrap up in 22 minutes. Yeah, you guys would suck writing sitcoms. (laughs) 
I, I like fought the, yeah, I'll just did it right there with one of us have to get shot, boom, done. So that is a good ending. That would have made it so much easier. <laughs> all right, so for Quad and for Paul and for all of us here at the Let's Get Weird Sports Podcast, we thank you for listening. And as usual, we should be back with the Hammer and Ales podcast to discuss Purdue football uh, once the season starts here in two days. So keep your ears peeled for that. Ears peeled. Well, I healed. Keep your yeah. nose to grindstone. <laughs> like a midget in a urinal, you're going to have to stay on your toes. Okay, we're done here. <laughs> I'm ending it. I'm ending the podcast right now. Goodbye. <laughs>